Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutlinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutlinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. <laughs> Hey, thank you, bus people. Thank you, thank you, thank you, bus people. All right. Okay. Well, there we there go. We are. Uh, it's a, it's another exciting show tonight. We got a great guest, and we have a, uh, a no real announcements for you because there's nothing happening anywhere because January toward the end of January is just a bloody dead month. Um, let's see. Um, Coming into February, not much there. We got uh, Groundhog Days coming up Tuesday, though. And then uh, Valentine's Day on the 15th and pres- or 14th, President's Day on the 15th. And that's it. Uh, Super Bowl. And I have to mention that because we got Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yay! Playing in the Super Bowl. And we've got the Kansas City Chiefs. Yay! Playing in the Super Bowl. This is one of, one wow, of those rare Super Yes, really. <laughs> One of those rare. I'll say I've been following Super Bowls for 54 years. Okay, every year I've had a team I would really like to see win and one I want to see lose, and it's been that way for 54 years. This year I would be extremely happy no matter who won it. Either one of them, I, I you know, because they're both my teams. I'm from Kansas City, and then you know, I'm down here just north of Tampa has been my home for. Oh, 30, almost 40 years now, just a couple of years, time, 40 years. And so it could be the one, and I would be happy with that. So the Super Bowl coming up a week from this Sunday, and I'm going to be cheering both teams. Actually, watch the Super Bowl, not so much for the teams and the games, but you watch Super Bowl to see what the advertisements have to say and what they're doing there. So that's always the fun part. But uh, I've got a, a win-win on the on the teams this year for the first time in 50, 55 Super Bowls. So, okay, so we have a guest tonight, Greg Brewer. He is co-founder and winemaker at Brewer Clifton uh, Winery. He was recently recently named Winemaker of the Year. Yay! Oh, I forgot that. The tune up our little cheer and all that on it. There you go. Thank you. Uh, so that wasn't enough. You know, not, not there we go. Winemaker of the year. So now uh, we're going to bring Greg in and just let him tell us all about himself and what he has done and what he did and everything else. Hello, Greg. Welcome to All About Wine. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. No, it is our pleasure. Uh, you, uh, 
you have quite a a pedigree behind you, quite a resume uh, for winemaking in California. I'm I have to say quite impressed. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been, um, you know, kind of like you in the Super Bowls. <laughs> the, the, years, <laughs> the years get racked up right over time. But I, um, you know, I'm, I've been really fortunate. You know, I started off, um, you know, quite young and I started off in Santa Barbara County, you know, where I've devoted my entire career. So, um, you know, and it's all really evolved organically. You know, I didn't, I didn't come from this. I didn't, you know, I wasn't intrigued by, you know, agriculture or even wine as a kid, you know, growing up in LA and just, you know, I, I just was really just enamored with the business um, from, from the very, very beginning when I got my first job in a tasting room and that led us to where we are today speaking with you. It's, it's uh sounds like a very simple road the way you put it, but I'm sure there was a lot more involved in that. <laughs> yeah. You know, we have some highs, we have some lows, some twists and turns, you know. Um yeah, no worse for the wear. But but I, I think that, you know, something something that's interesting, I mean not to jump ahead too far, but you know, I've for you know, for three decades I've only worked in, in Santa Barbara and specifically in an Appalachian that we would map and define as Santa Rita Hills, which is something that we, we kind of embarked upon in starting in 1997. And, you know, so I'm, I'm really a product of this place, you know, so it's kind of like, you know, I feel like a, you know, surfer, some, you know, whatever it is, like someone who's committed to like one specific stretch and they, you know, they, they know it, they've, you know, they've been raised by it, they've been taught by it, they've been nurtured by it, they've been beaten up by it you know, but that this is my sandbox here. And, and I love mm-hmm. other regions and I love, you know, Napa, Sonoma, Oregon, New Zealand, Australia, France is great, you know, and, and I'm here, you know, and I, I'm very kind of provincial that way when it comes to the wine, the wine thing. What you were born and raised there in that area? Mm. No, I was actually born in Connecticut. And then, oh. um, and then my, uh, my folks, um, we moved out to Los Angeles, um, when I was six months old. Um, so right. I, when, when I was born, my dad was finishing up a PhD on the East Coast and then, um, and then you know, moved out to L.A. for work. Um, and, and so, yeah, I was raised in Los Angeles, um, kind of on the west side of L.A. And then I ended up going to, um, to college here at UC Santa Barbara. And, and I, I really didn't even plan on staying in town, to be honest. You know, I, my, my, first, my, my degree is in French literature, and I started off as a French instructor at UCSB, but like many of my friends, you know, most, most were going on to like San Francisco or back to LA or Orange County or whatever, you know, where there's just more opportunity and more, you know, it's right. a little bit more reasonable to live. And then I happened to get, you know, I happened to get this wine job and, and then, you know, and then it was like no turning back. So the wine job was just sort of like one of the many things that you applied for because you needed money and, Basically, yeah, I mean, not even that. I mean, it's even a weirder story, to be honest. So, so I was, you know, I'm teaching French and making about a grand a month, you know, as a French instructor, working on a master's degree that I never finished in French lit. And I was stringing tennis rackets on the side. Um, <laughs> I don't even play tennis, but, like, I, I, love, I love repetitive work. I love monastic work. And I love things I can do that aren't dependent on hours and schedules, right? So I can go to the sporting goods store in the middle of the night, string tennis rackets, you know, five bucks a racket, I can do two an hour, you know, so that was like my side hustle from teaching. 
And then I, I, I happened to look at a newspaper for no reason. I was in my fraternity house, you know, drinking some malt liquor, like, look at, you know, listening to reggae, playing foosball, whatever I was doing in a frat house in 91. And, um, and I saw an ad for a tasting room job for 5.50 an hour at the Santa Barbara Winery. And, you know, it said no experience necessary, but willingness to learn. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that would be the coolest job ever. And so I applied, and um, and then I got it. I didn't get it the first time, but I persevered, and I was their second choice, and I persevered, and someone else gave notice, and I got that gig. And, and you know, one day behind that bar in May of 91, and I knew this would be my life. I mean, I just yeah. everything about the business just struck me. I, I, and I love it even more to this day. I can say that with all sincerity. Oh, fantastic. Serendipity. Just, you know, you get that tasting room job, and it goes from there. You know, and that sure. seems to be – a lot of people do that. They get themselves a tasting room job, and it just the bug hits them. And and teach me more, teach me more. You know that's that's fantastic. Yeah, and you so, learn so much. You learn oh. so much on those front lines. You know, it's it's like a server or hostess or something. I mean, you know, I've always loved straddling what I call front and back of the house. And and I love you know and the 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 lessons you learn. You know, sales, this, how people respond to wine. In your intro too, I was really touched by you know, wanting to kind of bring wines to people and have people gain people, people gain confidence with wine and comfort with wine. And it's such a beautiful thing to pursue for you, for us, for everybody, you know, to kind of, to bring, you know, to make wine less threatening and intimidating and, and to, you know, all the time working at the bar, you just, you know, that, you know, you just, it's every single guest that would come in, that would be it, you know, and so it was a valuable, valuable, critical learning time for me. And it, it gave you a chance too to see what people liked, and I, I noticed uh, your uh, your portfolio here. I guess you can call it your wines from the Brewer Clifton Winery. It shows a uh, your well your pattern here, your Pinot Noirs, your uh, uh, Chardonnays, just what people tend to gravitate toward, and that was one of the good things about working behind the counter there you know it's a uh an introduction to people's taste and you seem to have picked up on it when you made uh or started to make your wines yeah and and, and also just being very sensitive to what thrived within this landscape you know so you know and back when i started you know pinot noir wasn't that sought after in the early 90s anywhere really you no, know but certainly right. in, in santa barbara it was still it was still pretty esoteric, which, which, which seems crazy to think of now. But, um, but you know, back then it was a little bit quirky, to be honest. And um, and so, you know, seeing that develop, but that you know, but also seeing everyone really, you know, planting the flag and and what the potential of Pinot Noir and and continuing with the potential of Chardonnay that had already been demonstrated, and then those were really you know the two primary horses in the race, so to speak, for. For, for Santa Barbara, and then certainly the western reaches of Santa Barbara, which is my, you know, my habitat here in Santa Rita. And so, um, you know, that just made sense. And, I, and I'm a very simple thinker, and I'm super, super focused, um, you know, to a fault, really. But but I think, you know, that, that made sense just for me to really hone in on those two things. Yeah. Did, did you uh, – well – so you started at the winery. You were in the taste room there. You fell in love with the whole thing of and all that. And so one morning you woke up and says, okay, I think I'm going to make a winery myself. And you went out and you uh, 
borrowed money and bought a vineyard. No, I mean, how did it work? What, what happened? <laughs> yeah, no. So it was pretty, pretty street, pretty guerrilla, to to be honest. So you know, we, so you know, I started off in the tasting room. I'm still teaching, and then about a year or so later, a year and a half later. Um, I elected to kind of pull out of the master's program and I was able to secure the role of assistant winemaker at Santa Barbara Winery. And that was at the end of 92. And, um, and so I became Bruce McGuire's assistant. He's still there. He taught me everything. He's an amazing individual. And so he, you know, he took me under his wing and and I spent several, several years, you know, working in his service um, and learning all kinds of stuff and meeting all kinds of people. And really those formative years were so precious and valuable. And so that was that. And then I met uh, my former partner, Steve Clifton, in 95. And he was the assistant winemaker at another local spot called Beckman. And, you know, we really hit it off. And we kind of dreamt about, you know, a, a, you know, a wine project that would be, you know, specifically this little stretch that wasn't even labeled yet as Santa Rita Hills. But this, this kind of specific area really intrigued us. And we wanted to do, you know, a handful of, you know, site-specific Chardonnays and Pinots. And, and that was kind of the dreamy, you know, that was the dream. And so we saved up $12,000, um, which was our starting starting funding for it. You know, we never took loans or anything. Um, and so we had twelve grand, and and that was enough. You know, we, we were borrowing space at Santa Barbara Winery. We bought some neutral barrels from Fest Parker and a couple of used fermenters from that, you know, a little square, you know, fermenters from them. And um, and off we went, you know. And so that's that's how it started. And and then you know, we, were, was, we were fortunate. That was in 1996. Yeah, 96 was our first harvest. Yeah, we just we just passed over 25. Um, and yeah, and so that's how it started. And then there's a, a, a wine retail store and, and restaurant in Santa Barbara called the Wine Cask. And it's very, very important locally. It's a beautiful, especially then, a beautiful incubator of food and wine things. And so they had a very vibrant wine futures program. And so fortunately for us, we were included in that program, you know, a few months after the harvest because we didn't have enough money to pay for glass and with, you know, labels and forks <laughs> and wax and stuff. And so we, you know, we, we were able to sell enough wine pre-release um, through their catalog, which was great to have a little bit of capital to get us through the summer for the packaging, but also by association then to be seen and included with, the heroes that we had in this area, you know, Obon Climant, Coupe, and Ojai, and Babcock, and whatnot. And so, you know, to be to be kind of seen, you know, on on the same level as, as those heroes, I'm not exaggerating, Matt. That's how I, I still see them. And and so that was awesome. And that, and so and then we just slowly we slowly grew and we worked hard and you know sold wine out of our car. You know, it's much like a rock band, you know, in like the 70s or 80s, like selling because. No, I'm, I'm not joking, like selling cassette tapes out of your trunk, you know, and like, and, you know, going to Kinko's and, you know, making flyers for a gig at a club and, you know, getting five staple guns and like going for it. I mean, that was really how we, how we started. And we always just put the money back into the business, you know, for the first three or four years. And then um, we slowly grew it up. And then, you know, I think it was like late nineties, we bought ourselves cell phones. I mean, that was like a big, like turning point of success, you know, so I got a blue one and Steve got a red one and we had cell phone numbers and that was cool. And then, um, and then, you know, Robert Parker really kind of launched us into a different level, you know, in 2001 with his reviews. Um, and then, and that's kind of how things that it, that kicked things into a different gear. And then, you know, we, we got the Appalachian established at about the same time and then sideways came out in 05 and, 
it was that era where, you know, people like Costa Brown and Siduri and us, I mean, the stories are similar of, you know, kind of scrappy, you know, lean beginnings, but, you know, creative, driven, hard-charging people. Um, and then we were just buoyed up by that era, you know, the way the media was, the way the buying was going on, you know, you know, the way people were buying wines then, you know, it was just, it was a different time. And it, it brought us to being able to, you know, start a farming company, plant vineyards, et cetera, which is where we are now. Well, it also too, I'm, I lived in California in, uh, oh, let's see, from 70, uh, 72 through 81. I okay. In Cal- Where in California? Northern. Uh, okay. Outside of San Francisco, oh, um, uh, uh-huh. Concord, actually. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Out by you know Walnut Creek, that area there. Yeah, of and course. Yeah, yeah. Used to make many, many trips to Napa and Sonoma, and, and you know Livermore was, I mean, literally a half hour away and all that. But back then, and your area was. A nothing. I mean, no one ever considered that there would be any decent wines going in the Southern California, Santa Rita, any of that area. I mean, it was always, whenever you looked at anything at that time, it was always Central Valley and it was so hot and mostly raisins and you didn't think anything more of it. And it's it's been amazing to me anyway, and I'm sure to a lot of people, how that area has grown and expanded and how people like yourself and so many others have established such a strong foothold and such a strong presence and such great wines coming out of that area. Uh, it, yeah, no, it's been, yes, I mean, thank you. It, it, it's been, yeah, you, the timeline, you know, that you're sharing and that kind of, you know, I experienced a little bit, you know, a touch thereafter it's been so thrilling to watch when you think about it, you know, because, you know, post-prohibition, you know, the first vineyard commercially was in 64 up in Santa Maria, locally in Santa Maria. And, and that was called the Nielsen Vineyard, is called the Nielsen Vineyard. And that, and that, you know, they were selling fruit, you know, to people outside. And so the 60s, you know, there was a vine, you know, that was basically the only vineyard and they sold fruit to whoever up north. And then it was really early 70s, you know, Richard Sanford planted Sanford and Benedict, Firestones came down, Pierre Lafont, the Santa Barbara Winery, you know, but you're talking about, what, five, six, seven, you know, situation. I mean, it was still very, 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 very new. And a lot, of, frontier. a lot of the juice came from Northern California. A lot of the juice back then, even at those wineries, because they didn't have a whole lot of vineyards planted down there. A lot of the juice sure. was coming. Yeah, no, yeah, Santa Barbara Winery was like fruit wines and stuff in the 60s. Yeah, I mean, it was it was very it was very much that at the very beginning. And then we were getting things established, and then and then lo and behold, our fruit was pretty sought after, and and still to this day, you know, a lot of it is sold outside of the area. Um, mm. And, you know, even with the growth and everything else, you know, there's still a lot of Northern Californian producers and central, you know, that rely on, on this as far as a fruit prop, you know, fruit source. And, you know, and then it just, it just, you know, things in some ways, it seems like it's been a long time, but then if you think about wine, you know, wine is like the opposite of dog years. You know what I mean? Like 40 years <laughs> or 30 years in wine. It's true. It's like nothing. If you think about it, yeah. and it, it, it yeah, it's really it thrilling is. to think about <laughs> It's really thrilling to think about how, you know, and basically, you know, three or four decades, it's gone from close to zero, you know, by and large, to right. something very vibrant and very real and very relevant. And I think it's just a testament to, I mean, everything, right? All the people that are here, the pioneers that really, you know, set things up at the beginning. I'm kind of second generation, I guess, 
Um, but then, you know, it, it's, it's because of the coastline here. You know, we have these three valleys that run east to west. They open up onto the sea. And the Pacific, where we are, is cold. It's brutal cold out here. It is, you know, yeah. It's like Alaska oh, yeah. water. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, we have this very temperate season, this very predictable season. Um, it's a, you know, it's in 30 years, I've, I've never needed to pick because of bad weather, right? I mean, we have this very constant thing down here, and it's cool, and, and, that, and that's a rare circumstance in life, right? So normally, cool yeah. climates are coupled with some erratic kind of conditions, and, and we have a cool climate that's wedded to a very stable one. And so that's really the, one of the hallmarks of what Santa Barbara, what makes Santa Barbara tick. And it's so odd, though, that you think that Santa Barbara, you, you say a cool climate and, and you're cool nights on, but you're just, you're around Los Angeles. I mean, it's just, it's Southern California and you always picture Southern California as being warm and hot and all that. But because of the microclimate, because of the valleys and the influence from the Pacific, it really does change it. It gives you that uh, almost ideal temperature. Oh, yeah. I mean, super ideal temperature. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, an ocean's no joke. You know what I mean? So, um, or any big body of water. I mean, you know, the lakes in Michigan or whatever. You know, it, it's a it's a it's a huge voice of a place as far as how it how it just informs everything. You know, how people are and how things. You know, the outcome of how things grow and everything else. From you know a tree in your backyard to you know hundred acres of vineyard. So, um, it's it's just an amazing thing. And I think you know in the past. I don't know, 10 or 15 years in particular, I've really just kind of surrendered to, you know, the beauty of the ocean here, you know, and, and the role that it plays. You know, we have the ocean and we have our soils are all very beachy, too. There's a lot of sand. There's a lot of plankton fossil. It's very stark. It's very desolate. It's very lunar in some ways, you know, and kind of how it feels. And so it's just it's just an amazing spot, you know, and, and I'm, yeah. I'm really fortunate that professionally I was born here, you know, um, and so this is kind of my, you know, this is my neighborhood, you know, and it's, it's been a great, it's been great playing a, you know, a small role in it for three decades now. Yeah, it's, it's the, the grow up of the area there is not unlike Livermore, how it's exploded and or Pasarobos and how that mm-hmm. has exploded. It's just people have discovered those areas and they find the, uh, the greatness of it for making wine and growing grapes and all that and you mm-hmm. know it's good to see that you're all doing that uh i, I oh vineyards where where do you have a vineyard how big is it where is it do you get juice from other yeah, people so now, yeah so, yeah so now we have we have um kind of a string of small vineyards we you know we started off and we purchased fruit of course um because twelve thousand dollars does not a vineyard purchase um, no. <laughs> and so, you know, we, 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 uh, we bought fruit from others, which is a great model, you know, like it's called negocio, you know, that kind of, when you just buy fruit, when you, not just, when you buy fruit from others, you can be very nimble and you can be super selective. I mean, it's a great, it's a great way to approach this industry. Um, and that was fine. And, and of course we did that, you know, for the first 10 years or so. And then, and then we just found a need, not, not qualitatively, because we were working with really beautiful spots and very deliberate growers. Um, but we just needed to secure a steady source because when you purchase fruit from people, especially when times are really good, you know, that, that can be a little volatile and you can lose access to things and, you know, people can change their mind and want to make wine themselves. And, uh, and that yeah. happened to us um, with, with great frequency. And so we needed to kind of figure it out on our own. And so we, we assembled a, 
a lean and mean um, vineyard team, vineyard management team. Uh, started off with two people um, with whom I still work. They're amazing. Okay. And, um, and we took over, we took over a vineyard, um, a very esteemed vineyard in the neighborhood called Mount Carmel. And we started farming. Um, and then, and then in 07, we started planting. So now we have, um, well, now there's four ultimately, you know, vineyards um, throughout the Appalachian. They're, they're only, some are really close together and, and all told that, you know, the Appalachian is only eight miles long. So they're all quite close. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, four vineyards and they, you know, and, and from 2012 onward, um, we've relied solely on those vineyards for our wine. So, you know, starting in 2012, we, we became purely an estate producer. Oh, very good. Very good. Yeah. And uh, how many total acres do you have in vineyards? Well, currently in production, we have um, from like the three first vineyards that we planted, we had just shy of 60 acres. And then well, that's quite um, a bit. about, yeah, no, it adds up. And, but we, we lease the land. So that's kind of, it's something that seems foreign and it happens more than people think. So we, um, so we have, you know, 30 and 40 year land leases so that, the, you know, the dirt we don't own, we're, we're borrowing that, so to speak, but we own the vineyard and, you know, of course we planted it and paid for all that and farm it and right. named it and everything. Um, and so that's that. And then um, just about four years ago, um, I was able to align forces with um, the Jackson family. And, you know, as a, as a company, you know, we, in 2017, planted a fourth vineyard now in the Appalachian called Paraloon. So, and that's mm-hmm. more significant in size. And that's owned by us as a company, owned by Jackson Family. So mm-hmm. um, that'll be the fourth, just coming into production starting this coming year. Are you going to continue just uh, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay? And I know it's a little Syrah. Yeah, just Pinot you know, and Chardonnay. Fun. And then there's a touch, yeah, there's a touch of Syrah there, but it's, um, you know, it's like a couple of percent, a few acres, you know, just to, to substantiate a, a project that we have called Ex Post Facto, a really small Syrah thing we do. Um, yeah, but predominantly it's Chardonnay and Pinot. Mm, okay. Uh, so tell me about your wines. I'm, I'm looking at your, your website here and your wines, but, uh, you know, obviously Pinot Noir is your signature wine and one I, I would guess you're really quite proud of and, uh, available to priority members only. Oh, a lot of those there. But, um, you know, why Pinot Noir? Why did you jump on that and go with a Pinot Noir? I, you know, it can be temperamental. And uh, you, yeah, I noticed... yeah, I mean, it, it grows. We've always been, we've always been kind of 50 50 um, Chardonnay and Pinot. You know, they're, they're siblings, and, and we've always kind of seen them as, you know, kind of sibling voices of the same place um, or the same provenance. And so we've always kind of had equal importance and, and kind of intrigue with, with both of those grapes. And in the case of both, I mean, you know, they're, they're, you know, I guess they're challenging, but I mean, you know, anything worthwhile is challenging. Right. And, and I think if that's, if that's all you do and you work in an area where those two grapes thrive, it's not really challenging. I mean, it, it seems very natural. It seems very, you know, it's very gut feeling instinct. I mean, it all just, you know, it all just kind of falls into place, you know. And um, and again, it's all about, you know, they're they're temperamental, largely, you know, as far as the growing conditions, you know. And, and again, that's where Santa Rita Hills really shines, you know, because the those grapes love being here. And then, you know, in the winery, it's it's super straightforward. You know, our our wine approach is very 
primitive. It's very elementary, you know, and so, and we're, we're careful. I mean, don't get me wrong. We work hard, but it, it's, it's, it's all very, very, very old school. We barely use electricity for goodness sake. So, you know, as far as once it gets to the winery it, it, and it's always raised the same and it's whole cluster fermented and it's super old school. Um, and again, you know, being in Santa Rita, it's, it's, it's raising this beautiful fruit and then we interpret it with as little intervention or, or kind of insertion of self as possible. Are you, um, well, before I get into the, the vineyards a little bit more, the Chardonnay. So basically what you just said about the Pinot Noir would apply to the Chardonnay then, I would guess. For sure, yeah. So everything is raised in a neutral setting. So, um, you know, the Chardonnay is barrel fermented, um, but, you know, the barrels are 15 to 25 years old. And so, and no lees disturbance, really no mallow. I mean, it's, you know, it's pressed, it's cold settled, gravity into barrel, and that's it. I mean, it's super, it's not a big deal. And so that's... um, that's the Chardonnay, and then Pinot, you know, is is predominantly whole cluster fermented, and a super super long time spent in you know these tiny stainless steel fermenters that we have, and then you know it it gets pressed and it goes right down to barrel, and the barrels are 15 to 25 years old and racked once before bottling, and you know that's it. It's I mean it's really it's very very straightforward. Very basic, yeah. That you're. I noticed again on your website, and if anyone wants to check it out, uh, check out BrewerClifton.com. That's B-R-E-W-E-R-C-L-I-F-T-O-N. BrewerClifton.com, and then it's all about the. Well, everything that we're talking about here and more, you can order and everything on that. Uh, I noticed on your vineyard and viticulture, it says sustainable and responsible. Are you uh, classified as organic or biodynamic or any of that stuff? Or yeah, so just- all of our vineyards are yeah, all of our vineyards are um, the are what's called SIP certified SIP, yeah. which is sustainability and practice. So we um, <laughs> we talked all- to a. A uh, winery, oh, I guess it's been about five months ago now that uh, was just certified in that and told us all about it and everything. So very good. Yeah, no, yeah, it's really exciting and it's a big deal. So all of our vineyards are SIP certified. And and furthermore, you know, all of our vineyards within Jackson family are SIP certified, which is remarkable if you think about our scale and our holdings and our diversity and it's it's been a huge priority of the company um, for decades, and um, it's really I'm very prideful, you know, to be affiliated with them um, and to kind of the stewardship of the land and not only the land and and being very mindful of inputs in the land and everything, but also, you know, a SIP certification there it, it also hinges um, in in no insignificant portion to personnel, you know, and wages and you know, healthcare, you know, how people are treated. And, and that, that's a really, really big deal for me, um, for all of us. And so, yeah, so, you know, the, the, SIP, the SIP certification is, we're all very proud of, you know, of that accomplishment. And just, I'm going to mention just for people who uh, haven't, and you should be listening to all of our shows and miss the one on the SIP certification, that is everything. That is an overall certification it doesn't just include the vineyards or going into the winery it includes everything i mean your paperwork has to be right you have to you know kiss your wife when you leave the house in the morning and kiss her when you get home (laughs) i mean it's just it's really pretty pretty strict certification on that so 
um, it's it's cool stuff that you are are certified in that because that's a commitment to everything. Yeah. yeah, on a on a big level. I mean, you know, again, this is Jackson family. You know, this isn't little old me and Lompoc. You know, and so that's it's really a testament to how much they care. You know, big picture, long term, multi generational. You know, in in a real way. You know, with the vineyard assets that we have at the company, and it's it's exciting. And like you said, it's this all encompassing stewardship and like just being a good person. You know what I mean? It it really does yeah. trickle into that. I mean, it kind of makes everyone just be better, you know, and I think that's really a beautiful, you know, it's a beautiful kind of guideline or, you know, beautiful goal to have, you know, and so it's, um, that's important to us. And, and it should be. I, I first discovered that when we did that interview, well, I, I want to say six months ago, so I'm not sure exactly where, but mm-hmm. I'm sure Mike can let us know, but uh, we had never heard of that certification before. And it's just like, you you come in with a whole new category of certification with that because it covers so many different things and all. So, good. Congratulations on that. I noticed you Thank have you. yourself uh, – oh, surely you have yourself a new uh, winemaker. Uh, uh, Peter Matus is going to be uh, – has oh, just joined you? Yeah, vineyard, vineyard manager. Yeah, vineyard, vineyard manager. Yeah, so Peter, yeah, so Peter oversees our vineyards. He's great. So he um, he joined us just about two years ago, two and a half years ago. He had been farming up in Santa Maria, which is, again, like oh. a half hour away. Um, very, very kind, very thoughtful, very disciplined, very sensitive. Um, I love working with him. And um, and then so, you know, he, he oversees everything. And then um, and then our primary vineyard foreman, Enrique, I've worked with since 1997. So, you know, there's also, oh. you know, there's also like, you know, my old squad, you know, kind of along with Peter. And it's a, it's a really, it's a really, really dynamic team um, on, on whom I rely completely, you know, because the wines here are so transparent um, and they're so kind of subtractive in how they're raised that they, they're, they're, you know, they, they, they completely rely on the work that happens outside. And so, um, you know, that, that the team out there is amazing. The, uh, uh, again, referring to the site, you have a 3D name of the vineyard. Uh, yes. Uh-huh. yes. Okay. Yeah. All of our vineyards are named after the ranch on which they're planted. So, oh, okay. um, you know, it was called the 3D ranch and sort of cool. So we'll call the vineyard 3D. You know, it's very much that. And Machado is, yeah, and, and that's really cool, too, because, again, going back to, you know, the, the land lease um, conversation that we had just a little bit ago, you know, the Machado family, it's a, you know, beautiful farming family locally, and they came to our area just over 100 years ago, and, you know, Portuguese origin, and, you know, row crops, and beans, and cattle, and different things, and um, and we lease, you know, 15 acres from them, they had about 1,200, and, um and so, and I love, I love like furthering someone else's legacy through these wines. You know, I love celebrating their family. I love the responsibility of, of promoting someone else's family, you know, family name. It's a big deal. You know, you don't just like do that, you know, haphazardly. And, and so um, there's a lot of mutual trust and respect and it's, it's awesome. So that's, that's, you know, that's how our wines are named. And then uh, the Hapgood Vineyard is... Uh... Mm-hmm. Same uh, thing, yeah. Same, same thing on that. And uh, uh-huh. Aston, Aken, Aston. 
Asin, yeah. So Asin is a vineyard. Yeah, when we first planted the Hapgood Ranch, it was kind of divided in two, and we kind of split up the names in two, and that proved to be a touch confusing. And so um, the Asin name, um, we let go, and so now we just we refer to that parcel solely as Hapgood. Oh, okay. So, and I noticed you are one of the few, and I congratulate you on that, but one of the few wineries that I see that actually name your clones when you're using uh, the, uh, well, not just the Pinot Noir, but also Chardonnay, you're naming your clones on that. Uh, I, why yeah, did you, I mean, you do that? Well, you know, I think we... It's uh, like the, the, the era during which I was raised locally, you know, when different, you know, the, most of the vineyards were planted that we worked with at the beginning and then certainly everything we planted since, um, you know, there's been a, a heightened awareness of the role that clones play. And, you know, for those listening or whatever, a clone is, you know, it's kind of like a bloodline of an animal or a subdivision of something, you know, it's just right. kind of discrete variations within the species, if you will. And so, and certain things, you know, because of the, you know, I've, I've worked with, you know, most of the vineyards in this, in this area. And, um, and so, you know, you know how certain, and it's not like one clone's better than another. It's not about that, but it's about how they right. perform. You know, some are aromatic and some are dense and some are dark and some ripen early and some ripen late. And so um, some like sand, some like clay, whatever. And so we, you know, knowing that and being armed with, you know, some of that experience, you know, we just, you know, we planted our vineyards, obviously, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't accidental, you know, and so we, we, you know, had a plan for what we would plant and how and when and why and where. And, and then, you know, just in the, you know, just in the interest of education and whatnot, you know, we, we don't want to be like redundant, you know, some lame tech, you know, boring loser thing, but we, you know, just, we, we at least lay it out there so that, you know, if people are into it, you know, it, it kind of, it, it prompts the question anyway, oh, what's the clone? And then we can kind of talk yeah. about that if people want to explore that, and, you know, why not? Yeah, well, that you know, like I say, very few. We've talked to quite a few different wineries and all that, and, and we have talked about the clones. In fact, one of the questions whenever anyone does grow and make a Pinot Noir, I always ask what clone it is. And I've done a whole show on the different clones and how they came about and all that. And seldom do wineries actually list the clones that they're using uh, and it, it just seemed odd that you would. It's a good idea, I think, but it just seemed odd that you did. Yeah. Right. Uh, so let's go back into the fermentation. You mentioned that you're using small stainless steel to start fermentation, and then you put it into big oak. The yeah, no. Oak. So for for Chardonnay, yeah, for Chardonnay, it just goes. Um, you know, we press the juice, and then the juice goes up into stainless steel tanks overnight just to settle a little bit. And then by gravity, just right into normal size barrels, like 60 gallon barrels. Um, and then for the Pinot, um, it ferments predominantly as whole clusters. And, and we ferment in like ton and a half, you know, stainless steel fermenters. And, you know, so we ferment in those and punch down as needed and, you know, cold soak and a lot of time after the ferment, just kind of soaking and, and then we press, um, we press down to barrels and normal size barrels, really old ones, and that's it. The and something that caught me, you said old barrels. So many wineries don't use old barrels because they've lost their influence of whatever they're trying to get from the oak. Why are you staying with old barrels? 
Um, I just, I like the, the aesthetic here is motivated by um, neutrality um, and subtraction. And so, um, again, I've got nothing against New Oak and, you know, New Barrels can be great. Um, but for us, you know, our, our aesthetic and our approach is, is wholeheartedly, you know, really, really old barrels. And there's something, you know, there's a resonance. And, and when I say old, it's funny, you know, sometimes people think like old, crusty, sketchy, lame, like they should be planters. And our barrels are far from that. Um, yeah. But they're just, they're simply neutral. And, and some of them I've had my entire career, you know, and, and we still use them. And those are like the most cherished, really. And, you know, like objects you know, objects resonate with people. You know, if you think about, I, I, I equate this sometimes when I'm explaining it, like to instruments. And so, especially being with Jackson family, you know, our, our company has, you know, New Oak has been such a beautiful part of our, our company culture for decades. And we have our own stave mill in France and, Oak, or, you know, force. I mean, we have crazy systems in place to maintain like the highest quality of barrels. With a text message, I mean, this place could be stacked with new wood. I mean, it's, it's not about, like, not being able to get it. And, and it's kind of like a, a musician. So let's say I'm on tour and I'm, you know, some rock band or something. You know, I could have a new guitar every song if I wanted. Or, you know, for right. a Fender and be like, hey, I need, and, and that's fine. Um, I've taken the approach of, you know, that musician that wants to play, you know, the old guitar, bass, or violin, whatever, that, that he or she bought in high school, essentially, you know, that – you save up money washing your neighbor's cars and, you know, babysitting the kid, you know, neighbor's cat or whatever. And, and then and you buy the guitar and maybe the pickup doesn't work great and it kind of goes out of tune, the strap falls off, but that guitar is like part of you, you know, there's intimacy with that. And, and with these old barrels, it's like, they've always raised Brewer Clifton wine, you know, and that's cool to me. And so that those are the ones, you know, and when we've grown, you know, we've just, we just bring in neutral barrels, you know, from, you know, hygienic friends and that's fine. But you know, the core, the core of our barrel program is, is barrels that we've had for decades. Well, yeah, and you said, you know, it's, it's not it, – it's basically subtractive. It's not additive. And if you use new barrels, you're going to change your whole concept because you're going to be adding oak and vanilla and, and, and toast and everything else that new barrels tend to bring with them. And so – I, it's understandable if you want to let your wine speak for itself and not let the oak speak for it, then you really should use old barrels. So, yeah, well, I yeah, see and that. It's not even about should. I mean, I, I wouldn't even go that far. I mean, it's just a, it's just a style. It's like cooking salmon, right? I mean, it's going to be on the grill. It's poached. It's, you know, locks on a bagel. It's raw at a sushi bar. I mean, what's right? I mean, it's all cool, you know, so then it's just a question of, of you know what what the priority is i guess and and for us the priority is something very vulnerable something very raw something very kind of stripped away and so that's that's what makes us tick here you have oh let me see i I was looking at again back at your wines again here Uh, you have collections of uh, vertical tastings that is unusual that you would have enough of those to offer that you don't sell out every year or do you set it back just for a collection or yeah a little bit of both you know so we we typically set things um we set some you know some small quantities aside and we've always 
we haven't always done that. I mean, at the beginning, we couldn't afford to do that, you know. So, right. you know, you'd see a, you'd see a case of wine, you'd be like, okay, well, it's either four hundred bucks or a bottle oh, of wine, and so we would, yeah. we, would, we would kind of sell everything. Um, but then, as we got a little bit bigger, you know, we had the we had the flexibility to, you know, to, to put some things aside, you know, for for release at a later time. And our wines hold up for so long that um, it's worked out really great. Again, educationally, you know, again, like you talked about in your intro, like people ask how things age and now, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful way because nothing changes the way we do things. Like our, our season is very static and we always raise wines the same way. So if you look at a vertical of, you know, a couple of years worth of Pinot Noir, then, you know, really you're seeing, you know, those seasons of course, but also seeing how the wines evolve and, and everything else is very neutral and static. And so it's a, it's a nice educational thing to be able to offer as well. Yeah. And it is, I, you know, they have this for those shows listening that it's the 2014, 2015 and 2016 vintages and uh, on their collection, two bottles of each, which is a great way to pursue a Pinot Noir. So if anyone out there wants to start seeing what Pinot Noirs are like over a period of time, this is a good way to do it. And I highly recommend vertical tasting. There's a great thing to do. Um, yeah. Especially our, now, you know, especially now with, with, you know, some of the COVID things, I mean, I, I you know, I, I know that Florida is a little bit looser with how, you know, it's, it's being approached as far as public stuff, but, and going out and whatnot, but we're still pretty much clamped down here in California. Right. And so, you know, for people that are spending a bit more time at home, I've been encouraging this, you know, with all the Zoom things I've been doing and, you know, it's, it's a good time, you know, be it, you know, I'm not trying to sell that vertical run, but it's a, the time has never been better to have multiple wines open at the same time, you know, for, for a couple or a household or a person, whatever, you know, right. because if, if you are not traveling as much and you're not going out as much, you know, you can, let's just say you were to open, you know, all three of those wines at once, but then you can have those wines over the course of a week, you know, and so you can really, you can compare them, you know, on day one and then kind of see how each of them trend over the course of four or five, six, seven, eight days after being open and, it's really a neat way to see the different facets of a wine. Um, and so I've been, you know, encouraging people to kind of not, not look beyond that. You know, sometimes there's a tendency to like open a bottle and you finish the bottle and like, which we open next, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, this pandemic is, is kind of given this opportunity. I'm not saying it's like an awesome thing, but it's given an opportunity to kind of be at home more and to have more breadth of experience at the same time. Right. Cause if you're, Without the pandemic, then you're going out and you're, the wine sets there for three or four days and stuff like that. And this, you're right, it gives you more of an opportunity to discover the depth of wines and how they change from day to day and how they change from year to year, too. I mean, you know, you've got the same winemaker and you've got the same vineyards and everything, but just the different vintages will cause a difference in taste. So, Yeah, that, for sure. That, great way to explore it uh, on a vertical rotation like that have you gotten any um uh, do you submit your wines to fairs and stuff like that seeking awards or do you forgo that no we don't really do awards and we've never done that per se but we um you know but wine journalists you know for for a long time you know we just what people would come to us and um and that was great and then you know still they do not pandemic notwithstanding but um you know, they come and they get to know us and taste in context of like what's going on here and kind of what our, you know, again, what the ethos is here. And then, you know, from that point, once, once someone knows us um, a little bit, then I'm more comfortable sending samples off. Um, 
it just it depends. You know, sometimes we ship things away and sometimes we don't. Um, but but you know, most of the time, especially those first you know ten or fifteen years, um, most journalists would make a you know make a pass through through and would see us on an annual basis, and they taste through the whole lineup and then kind of you know post you know pre- present their own publish their own reviews in context yeah. you know in in concert with all the wines together. Because there's some wineries like like to submit it to fairs and and uh, wine judgings and all that and get their medals and everything. I personally, when I had the winery, never did that. I was not one to do that, but some people are. And I was just wondering if you. I I didn't notice anything on your website, and that's usually where people no, post. No, we don't really do. We don't we don't really do fairs and whatnot. For sure. And nothing against them. We just we've never done that. Yeah, well, that's nothing against it either. I I'm just was not a fan. So, yeah. uh, and again, on your website, I noticed there's a lot of wineries around you. Uh, it, it's a, a, an awful lot of them in that small area there. Uh, yeah, there are a lot. Yeah, yeah. So there's, you know, in, in, you know, within the Appalachian of Santa Rita Hills, like where, you know, the rural part of the Appalachian, there are only... I don't know, half a dozen, there's like six or eight, you know, but, but Santa Barbara is very, very, very limiting as far as what you can build um, in within the county. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what's restricted the growth there. With that said, there's um, a city which is nearby, you know, it's a mile away from where the Appalachian ends called Lompoc. And when, when you're within the municipality of the city, then you know, the, the restrictions get a lot looser. And so, the, you know, within the city of Lompoc, gosh, there are probably 30 wineries, I'm guessing these days, you know, but wow. just like where we are now, we're in, you know, inside this winery is stunning and it's beautiful and it's, you know, it's an industrial building. So from the outside, it's a metal building and our neighbors across the street are like muffler shops and, you know, whatever mechanics and stuff. Um, but, you know, so, and most of us, even well-funded operations, most of them are found within city limits just because Santa Barbara is really prohibitive to build something, you know, within the rural landscape. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Your vineyard, I noticed here, uh, uh, your, uh, not vineyard, tasting room. Uh, Is that by appointment only? Is it open that you can do tastings? What is happening with that? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. So we, we have two tasting rooms. We have one, off-site, which is located in the town of Los Olivos, which is a really precious, quaint town locally and um, replete with, you know, a bunch of tasting rooms. And there's typically food trucks on weekends and the whole thing. And so we have a tasting room there, and we've been closed until today, when now we can be oh. open outside, outside only by appointment. Um, it's pouring rain, so, you know, today they're, oh, I'm not sure what, what they're doing, <laughs> but... Um, we uh, will figure that out. Um, but yeah, so we can be open outside by appointment. And so Los Olivos is opening up again as of like this weekend. And then here at the winery, we can receive guests by appointment as well. And that too, you know, for the time being is, is, is um, outside only. Um, but then again, hopefully, you know, in the months to come, you know, once the vaccinations can be rolled out and everything, you know, come summer, you know, we can be more indoors, even if it's, you know, a small percentage indoors. Hopefully we can get back to that state. Mm-hmm. And the tasting is, uh, well, it says here reservations required. That's just because of COVID and your seating arrangements and stuff. 
I yeah, we were a little bit, yeah, we were touch looser before. I mean, reservations are always helpful, and now they're required just so that we can manage the number of people at any given time, and, and we can just offer the best experience, you know, and, and not have people, like, waiting or, you know, just, just you know, to set everyone up for success, just like a restaurant. All right, okay. And uh, cost $25 uh, for tasting. Do you, uh-huh. How many wines are you tasting? Oh, I think it's like four or five, probably. Really? Okay. Um, but yeah, sit down, like beautiful tasting sheets. You know, five different glasses. I mean, it's it's pretty intense. Um, and yeah, so four or five. Oh, okay, very good. All right, uh, Mike, do you have any questions uh, for Greg here? I not really. I've been taking a lot of notes and everything, and uh, uh, I appreciate all the information. Um, when you were mentioning the SIP certification. I did go back and find uh, October 22nd, we had uh, Nathan Carlson uh, with uh, Center of Effort Wines uh, uh, talked about the SIP certification. That was on October. But, um, okay. yeah, just a, just a good uh, good discussion and a lot, of, a lot of good topics here. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I've, uh, I'm perusing through your website here i'm finding all sorts of neat information and everything on this so anyone out there i'll let greg give you the email or the website address again here shortly but a lot of information that you have on here and really quite easy to navigate so all of you out there uh, need to check out the website and uh it tells about the wines. It tells about the vintages. It tells about the vineyards. It goes into all sorts of information here. So uh, you definitely need to check that out. Uh, what? Uh, and and I, I'm asking this simply because you're making two wines and you're dabbling in the Syrah. What does the future hold for any expansion on the wines, uh, particularly the Syrah? Are you going to stay with just the one balling of Syrah? Or are you looking at expanding that? Or Yeah, we'll probably just stick with the one, you know? Really? I think, um, yeah. yeah, we'll just kind of, you know, focus. I, I think, you know, the, when when I started this 25 years ago, you know, there was a lot more, there weren't as many wineries, you know, and, and to do the, the different vineyard designates made a lot of sense, and, and that was great, and that was what built this up. And we still, of course, do that to a certain extent. However, along with our ethos here of subtraction and minimalism and refinement, we've also been kind of paring down, you know, and, and doing more singular things. And so, you know, the Santa Rita Hills bottling of Chardonnay for BC and then the one diatom wine and the one ex post facto Syrah, it's, it's very singular and it's very specific. And I think, you know, there's so many choices that everyone has these days and, there's just so many wineries, and it's overwhelming. If you think about if every winery is, you know, knocking out a dozen different vineyard designates, like how, oh, you know, selling that on a wine list, on a shelf, this, that, people, which vineyard's that, which vineyard's that, oh, that was the one, oh, that was the one that we like, you know, it's just, you know, and, and then attention span, and, and it's just a whole different thing these days. And so I love, I love simplifying and then really nailing it and being very focused and very deliberate and, and having something that, people can get their arms around and they can understand and they can have a relationship and understanding. So, um, yeah, no, no, no desire to go outward in breadth. You know, we'll slowly grow as it's appropriate, you know, market wise. And, um, and then just continue to promote, to promote, you know, ourselves, you know, Jackson family, um, you know, the Appalachian 
you know, our projects within the Appalachian, our neighbors and colleagues, um, and keep, you know, being champions of this place. You know, that's, that's really what the future holds for me, for sure. And Santa Rita Hills, I was going to ask this earlier, and I'd forgotten until now. How long has that been in AVA? We got we started the work in '97, and then we submitted in like '98, I want to say, and then we got the approval in 2001. Oh, okay. So you yeah. you know, it's been 20 years. Wow. Yeah, okay. the anniversary is May. Yeah. Oh, well, that's that's great. You know, I just. I've talked about AVAs quite a bit on the show, trying to uh-huh. get people to understand what they are and to, you know, embrace them within the uh, within our country. Um, another thing too, has the wildfires affected you any over the last couple of years? Not us um, specifically down here. I'm very fortunately. Um, however, you know, certainly our friends um, up north and you know within the company of have had to navigate some really challenging times. Um, and so, you know, and we're all figuring it out the best we can, but, but down uh-huh. here, you know, it's, um, it's been, you know, we've been really unscathed. I mean, we, you know, we had, you know, we personally, you know, I, I live down in Santa Barbara itself and, you know, about three years ago we had a big mud flow event and that came uh-huh. like a couple blocks from the house. And so, you know, wow. some personal things here and there, we were fine, but it was, it was super close to home, like literally, um, so it's not like we're like, you know, skipping through daisies with butterflies. You know, we, we have our, we have our competitions for sure, but, but the, um, but professionally, as far as the wines go and our vineyards go, we've been totally fine thus far. No, no smoke taint on any of the vineyards. No, anywhere. we've been fine. No, we've been fine down here, you know, because we, you know, there's not that much to burn. You know, we don't have like tons of trees and stuff. It's pretty desolate, the landscape. And then, we also have, I'm not saying we're immune, I'm not, you know, I'm not that naive, but, you know, we, we, there's certain things in our favor. I mean, the landscape is still pretty open. It's quite desolate. And then, you know, the ocean's right here and the prevailing wind is kind of, you know, unless it's a weird, crazy wind event when it comes across from the desert, but usually it's from the ocean towards you. And so, you know, it kind of like blows things away. You know what I mean? Love if there it. were to be smoke or something else. Yeah. Yeah, well, cause the reason I ask is because you see these wildfires. I look on a wildfire locator map, and it seems like there's speckles of them all over California, northern, southern, central, everything. So it's always something that... No, it's a scary uh, thing. It's no joke, for sure. Yeah, no, it's it's real. Yeah. And so, well, that's good. I'm glad it hasn't affected you at all there. Yeah, uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, well, Greg, anything else you'd like to like to bring up, point no, out? No, uh, you've been super. No, thank you. Yeah, so BrewerClifton.com, if anyone wants more from us, we're really easy to read. We're a tiny little team. You know, we respond right away. So uh, phone number, website, do, uh, a, uh, yeah, it's all there. Facebook, yeah. Uh, it's uh, all over. Yeah, Brewer Clifton, Google Me. It's, it's all over the place. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah everything's right easy. there. Greg, thank you very much for taking your time to join us tonight. Thank I you. Really it was a privilege to very in- with me. Thank you for the insight. Very informative. I enjoyed it. Uh, and awesome. uh, best of luck to you. And all right. If thank never, you so much. If I'm in that area, I will definitely stop by and visit with you. All right. So. I look forward to it. Thank you again. <laughs> thank okay, you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Thank you. All right. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, it was good. I was just looking at their, um, on the website, they have a really good, uh, like an interactive map 
that you can uh, check out in your neighborhood and see where they uh, where they have been uh, sold or carried before. So, uh, but call yeah. ahead just to make sure. I think uh, you're up. I don't know if you're near uh, Tarpon Springs, but there's a B B twenty one liquors on Highway nineteen. And uh, yeah, yep. Apparently they they carried them or or still do, but. Uh, yeah, so it's a good map, and it can show you where where they are near you. Uh, every, and it's a good map, too, to mm-hmm. show the wineries that are around where they are and where they're located and all that. Very, very good interactive map there, too. So yeah. a good website. And, uh, yeah, it definitely. It, it lets you know uh, how, how to get the wines, and shipping is uh, uh, pretty good details there. Uh, so uh, go to the shipping page as well, and they'll look up your state. Uh, there's a... Um, you know, lists there and it tells you what the restrictions are, if there are any. Uh, so, uh, yeah, very, very good information there. Good all site. the wines are listed uh, there. You can look and see, get uh, anything. Also check, though, because some of them are restricted to club members and stuff like that. So check on that. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah. good website. Oh, interesting. Congratulations <laughs> to so what they've done and how they have expanded and, I, I like that. Yeah. I told him, and I like that that they put the clone numbers on the bottles of the Pinot Noirs. We we have talked about clones quite a bit, but very few places actually add the clone number onto it. And so it's nice to see that. And so, yeah. But yeah. another another sip winery. We never heard of it until yeah. the end of October. Now we've talked to two of yeah. them. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. Um, that is. Okay, we got. Uh, let's see, I don't have anything in chat. None of the uh, boxes have anything in them. So I put a couple of notes out there. You know, comments or questions are welcome. But uh, yeah, do it during the live show. If you wait until after we're off the air, it's kind of pointless. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. 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 Or send a message. You can always send an email to, to Ron directly. Um, all about wine one zero one at gmail dot com. So that'll go to Ron, and um, he can you know, talk about it on the, on the air, uh, next show, but, uh, during a live show. Yeah, definitely. Questions and comments are welcome. Just put it there in chat. Um, so yeah, very good. Stuff. Our, good conversation. Yeah. So next week yeah, we got Michael going to be our guest. Yep. And Michael so, Haney. Um, Michael Haney, yeah. He is the so, executive director of Sonoma County Vintners and Sonoma County Vintners Foundation. So it should be fun. Remember, we talked about Sonoma and the fires, and I said buy from them. It should be a a good conversation with him and telling us about what's going on in Sonoma County. So tune in next week for for that. Absolutely. February 4th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Facebook and Blog Talk Radio. Thank you very much. More Twitch. <laughs> Probably. I don't know. It, yeah, it's it's not. It doesn't take any more bandwidth or anything. But I just I get the stats after every show, and I'm looking at it. And it's like, oh, you're point four away from reaching your goal, and I'm like, or not into <laughs> reaching your goal. Point your four, goal and it's like one. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, how long have we been on there? We're not even close to it. You know, if it doesn't take off, it's just okay. It's time to go. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> point. Thank you for you know. Yeah, okay. And if but, you're yeah. a big Twitch fan and you want us to stay on, email us and let us know. But otherwise, hey, you know, 
It's, uh, I, I think it's more toward gamers and things like that. I've done a couple of, of you know, uh, stuff when I was into, uh, I forgot what that was, but you, you can, you can post your video that you see on your screen <clears throat> to people uh, on Twitch or these other services and they can go, Oh, that was a great shot. And so I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty much it. But uh, okay. to put a food and you know wine show on there, it's, it might have thrown some people off. Boone's Farm. He's not yeah. talking about Boone's Farm. Anyway, we will continue next week uh, on Blog Talk Radio and Facebook for sure. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Be safe. Uh, have a great week and weekend coming up mm, day after tomorrow. And uh, we'll see you next Thursday, February 4th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thank Be you. Be safe. Again. Thanks for listening. Yep, thank you. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash all about wine thank you for listening drink responsibly and we'll see you next time on all about wine